Hello, hello. This is Reality of Reality, and I'm Aliza Rosen, a longtime TV producer and development executive. Every week on the podcast, I talk to interesting people in all aspects of unscripted content. Today on the podcast, probably one of the most well-known casting people in our business. His name is Duran Ophir, and Duran has notoriously cast some of the most iconic reality shows of all time. I think you've heard of Jersey Shore, RuPaul's Drag Race, Joe Millionaire, and Party Down South. He's done hundreds more, lots, lots, lots more. He's got really great stories of how he finds and connects with these random people and turns them into reality show stars and characters. He's also had a really fascinating career course, very unexpected in the way that he landed into his role now. And he's got a lot of interesting things to say, not just about our business, but about himself and sort of the world at large. So enjoy my chat with Daron. Hi, Daron. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really happy to have you. I always start the podcast by sort of telling everyone how we met. So I I knew about you for a long time. Obviously, you're infamous in the business. And um, wanted to get you on the podcast. This is like when I just started back in April, and right, right. So that was the connection. And then, well, I, no, then we were then I, we were at Quench. Exactly. So I couldn't remember the name of it. Right. So I'm sitting with my good buddy having smoothies at Quench, and in gossiping. Walk, you were gossiping. We were, we're always. I was listening because that's all I do. I listen to everyone else. I'm always by myself. <laughs> just you know, taking it all in. Yeah, and I just like I, I eavesdrop. Yeah. So I was like, should we say something? Because I think that's during the fear, and I really want to get him on the podcast. So I did. I was just said, all right, I'm going to do it. I went up to you. You're like, yeah, sure. And that was – and then I just stalked you till you came on. <laughs> well, also, you come off as a fellow New Yorker. So, you know, one from one New Yorker to another, suddenly I was like, kinship. I was like, you know, and I wanted to play Jewish geography because, you know, I went to Great Neck North. And I was like, you've got to know people. And I grew up um, – sort of incredibly self-sufficient. You know, when I look back on my life, I remember my mother at the age of five walking me to public school for kindergarten that one time in the morning, she introduced me to each of the like store owners and said, this is my son. Watch for him. He'll be here every day. <laughs> and then was like, you're off on your own. So you that were, was it. You five. Were five. <laughs> I was five. And from at five years old, I walked from 79th Street to like 86th every day back and forth. I would let myself in. I'd open a can of ravioli like <laughs> Chef Boyardee. I'd eat that, you know, sitting watching TV. Like, we were latchkey kids. Right. But that's young to be a latchkey kid. I don't know. I had the key around my neck. And then by the time I was like, and then immediately after that, I did kindergarten and first in public school. Second, they t- stuck me in Ramaz. Right. And suddenly, I'm in a suit now. Right. I had to get up an extra hour early just to pin stuff on. Oh, God. Yeah. And then by that, then we moved to Long Island. So And that was it. And, I was and like, then you were well, public school after yeah, that. But, yeah. Public school in Long Island, though. Right, right. So your parents are both Israeli, right? <laughs> um, yeah, my parents, are immig- uh, they were immigrants. Okay. You know, my dad was being put through his, you know, his he was becoming a doctor of physical therapy. But while doing that, he was a cab driver. Um, my mom was famous in Israel for being a dancer and sort of a personality. And um, she wanted to be a dancer. Her thing was to be a rockette. You oh, know, really? which she ended up getting the opportunity, and yeah. Cool. So my mother was very. Uh, my personality is the same as my mom. So you know, if you were to meet her and you see me, we're one of the same. And did you grow up speaking Hebrew? 
Yeah, I speak Hebrew fluently. I speak Spanish, and I speak English. I worked very hard not to use my accent. You know, <laughs> you really, honestly, you wouldn't know you were Israeli. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't know you were from Long Island. I mean, I can well, spot a Long Island accent in my life. Well, away. only East Coasters will go Duran and go, "Oh, that's a Jewish name." Everywhere else, they honestly <laughs> they think I'm black. So, which works to my benefit. I mean, I sold a BET show without them meeting me, and when I walked in the room, they were like, "Wait a minute!" And I was like, "Hi," and can they we get were our like, money back? "You are not at all what we thought you looked like." And I was like, "I'm wearing a Kango," um, <laughs> and <laughs> that's I knew. Hilarious. So does that okay? So you were I, your background is really interesting because you were like a club kid. I guess that started from the you went from latchkey kid to club kid, right? Okay, you were well, once, a dancer. Once you're a New Yorker, right? You're always a New Yorker. Yeah, that's and the for city sure. is it becomes part of your blood. And you know, I haven't lived in New York in you know 20 years, but yeah. I still it's longer. But I still when I go there, suddenly it's you know I'm home. Yeah, um, which is weird a little. So you know, going being sort of. Unique, to say the least, on Long Island, of all weird places, is not really celebrated. So for me, it was a torturous experience where Uh. I was so independent in New York and I had sort of neighborhood friends and, you know, the city takes care of its own. To go to a place where, you know, your parents want the best for you and they're sort of moving on up and they're upgrading their world. But for as a kid, I was completely disenfranchised and I was labeled really third grade. You know, I was sort of ostracized and made to be something I wasn't and used words that I didn't even understand what they meant, which then boxes you into this category of being an other. Yeah. Um, And this is the 80s. So, you know, when you're looking at this, it's, you know, it's the the 80s. And the 80s was a really, probably one of the greatest decades in American history in terms of its diversity, but also in its oppression. And I grew up really fast, really young. So by the time I was 13, I was already understood everything that I was and what I wanted and didn't want to be. So I rebelled. And so I would take the, the Long Island Railroad into Manhattan. And I had clothes in a locker in Penn Station, which, you know, now we are not allowed anymore because of bomb threats. And I, would, I was a street kid. So I would cut school. I wouldn't even go. Right. And my parents worked. They always so they had worked. No idea. So they had no idea. And I would run around with in the streets of New York. How did you I, find your people? You know what? Um, I've had this conversation with a lot. I think that when you grow up different, it's a, it's like a radar. Yeah. You know, um, I, you know, people joke about gaydar. You know, where you could spot another gay guy, but it's more than that. And you know, because my friends were never, it was never a lifestyle choice. It was just sort of the colorful, mm-hmm. if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, so I found myself, you know, at the piers of New York and up in Harlem during the era of the big balls and the voguing world and. You know, Madonna had just become something and, you know, she was the voice of a generation for us that were what I'd like to call New York street denizens. And it was also a really interesting time because, you know, they were making Paris is Burning, which is sort of the seminal documentary about the New York Harlem voguing scene. And Madonna was releasing Truth or Dare. And I was finding sort of this very alternative and sort of a deviant set of New Yorkers. (laughs) But we were young and... AIDS had become so prevalent in New York that it you lost 60% of the gay population in a matter of months. Mm. And people don't talk about it. But I was too young. I mean, I'm 13, right. 14. So for me, it wasn't affecting me from a sexual perspective. Right. But it affected me dramatically by seeing everyone sort of disappear. Wow. And there was a void. And when that void happened and you started to lose your greats, Andy Warhol, Keith Haring, you know, and celebrity – was the only real thing you could imagine and Dynasty is playing on your television and everybody wants to be Alexis or Crystal Carrington, what then? And 
That was what the voguing balls were. And the New York City clubs became the haven. And they didn't ID you. And because right. because people were sick, which is the sad realization, they painted themselves incredibly avant-garde so that you couldn't tell. It's sort of like the famous literary classic, The Mask of the Red Death. Mm-hmm. They wore masks, so you didn't know who had the plague. And wow. so you dressed really avant-garde with makeup and hair and crazy clothes, and it was the birth of the club kids. Geraldo started to pick up on it, New York Magazine, and we became infamous worldwide. And in a matter of a year, people were boarding buses from all over the country and arriving to New York. And so how did that shape you? I mean, that is, like you said, you were really young. You were seeing things. I mean, you know. At probably age, way too much for my age. Right. It was probably a lot to process. And- well, you know, but what it did was it allowed me to really sort of champion individuality. Mm-hmm. I was not a good looking kid. At all, in any way, shape, or form. I was incredibly awkward, incredibly lanky. I had fire red hair. I had way too many teeth in my face. You know, um, I was incredibly flamboyant to a certain extent. I still think I am, although I've come into my visuals differently. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and, it, and by being so afraid all the time to find a city like New York that embraced it mm-hmm. and to find a community that did, it was also... It was, it was a place that I then became home to me. And in that world, in the world of the nightlife, suddenly you had Kate Moss and you had Johnny Depp and you had all the celebrities. And it was sort of the next reinvention of the 70s Studio 54 yeah. was happening in the 80s. And in that time, because music and fashion was so avant-garde, everything mixed. And, um, and it was the burgeoning birth of the supermodels. And right. I had, a, had an eye. And I knew what was hot. I knew what was not. I knew what was beautiful. I knew what was funny. I knew what was artistic or colorful. I may not have been any of those things, but I could spot it. And did you make the connection then that this would yeah. be something you'd want to do or channel into sort of who you would Well, you become? know, a little, a little bit was stemmed from revenge. I, you, know, <laughs> right. a, a little, you know, when you're a kid waiting at the bus stop on Great Neck Long Island and it's a snow day and bullies are, you know, yeah. filling snowballs with dog poop and throwing it Ugh. at you. You know, you wake up one day and you're like, you know what, F you, you know, and suddenly I'm 15 or 16 and I have power. Yeah, it was it was it was it was immense. And I, you know, and so now I'm shadowing some of these great club kids where we're running Limelight, Palladium, USA, Tunnel. (laughs) You know, these are mega nightclubs that were the size, you know, of. Nels? Arenas. Well, Nels was VIP all the way. Oh, okay. I went to Nels when I was like 16. (laughs) Well, it was all of that. And I was now at the door. Right. And suddenly so you were the bouncer. Oh, not right. a bouncer. I was, you know, a bouncer is somebody who protects you from a fight. So I was, was I was collecting you. Right. This and was, if you're you didn't not know hot, me, you're hot. Right. If you didn't know me, you didn't get in. Right. <laughs> or one of the other legends. So there was like Kenny Kenny and there was, you know, there was wow. all of these legends, wallpaper. There was people who ran the doors. Derek, Lincoln Powell's Grove, Chauncey. These are names that in New York nightlife mm-hmm. are synonymous and famous. And um, And we were bitches. Yeah. You know, so then when I would see these same people from yeah. Long Island when they got older, it was like, not you. Yeah. Do you love it? Do you, I mean, do you still feel that sense of like. Well, you just... know, I ran nightclubs. That was the birth of my career. In OK. Nightclubs. And I was picking and choosing for the next 15 years of my life. Right. You know, I left New York during the craziness with Giuliani, speaking of like lunatics. Right. And, you know, when he turned ice into food and forced <laughs> you to get cabaret licenses. So bars would be closed if you were dancing. You couldn't move. You just had to stand there. Wow. It was I nuts. I remember that. Yeah, people don't talk about it. Yeah. But they raided clubs. And these are not gay clubs. These are straight clubs. Wow. 
So I left and went to Miami and found a bohemian there. And suddenly I find myself in a city that was, again, on the cusp of being the greatest city on the planet for a decade. And what and was year was first. that? 1992, 93. Okay. And then... I've been going back and forth from 89. Okay. But now I'm there. Versace is everything. Yeah. Um, I'm helping sort of book models. It was the modeling industry. Uh, you know, I'm eyeballing and creating a new faces for South Beach International Models and people like Sofia Vergara and Jason Shaw. And so my eye is now matured mm-hmm. into symmetrical beauty. You know, I began to get booked all around the world where I was flying to these like sort of model scouts where we would go to like Little Rock, Arkansas and walk mm-hmm. the mall and collect the one thirteen year old who was six feet awkward. So that was the beginning, really. Well, of... that was that was the next phase yeah. of casting. I've exactly. been casting my whole life. Exactly. I've been casting The Extraordinary since I was 14 years old. That's incredible. And did you, so even in Miami at that time when you're traveling, did you think I'm going to be doing modeling? Like what, in your mind, what was your career going to be? Okay. Well, again, I was also, I've always worked. Mm -hmm. I don't know what what it's not like to work. You know, Pat Fields, who people may or may not know, is a legendary um, designer the and she did she, you know she won the Oscar for Devil Wears Prada and she's you know you know a costumer and a Sex in the City right she won for for Devil Wears Prada but she yeah. did all of Sex in the City yeah. so all the clothes on Sex in the City was Pat Fields you know and she's a legend and yeah. she's told me once she goes you know I've worked 16 hour days since I was 12 years old wow and she goes what do you do and that's a real question you have to ask somebody so I've always worked. And, you know, while running nightclubs, the clubs were not the end. They were a means to an end. Mm -hmm. So I was – and by the way, I'm amongst the richest, most glamorous people on earth, and I'm not that. So it's a little bit of the Truman Capote complex. Right. But I'm amongst and I'm accepted, and I also have a certain amount of, like, control about how these places, which are multi-million dollar entities, um, run. Right. Simultaneously, I was running a model board, which sold to Michelle Pamier and then IMG Models for Millions, you know, some of the biggest models in the world. And the book, Men Without Ties, which was Versace's first book, which sort of catapulted male models onto the spotlight I was involved with. And, you know, it was that world. So the modeling industry in the early 90s, now I'm completely embedded in. I'm completely embedded in nightlife. And... Um, and fashion. So at this point, I got back in back to New York. I took over Barney's. I was the head buyer for the penthouse Barney's. And it was the Chelsea location, the original. So now I'm in, you know, every fashion show. I'm, you know, front yeah. and center. And this is strange for somebody who never went to really school, who barely graduated high school. Right. You know, I got I graduated high school through, through a technicality. Right. I, like, I like went to, you know, community <laughs> college and transferred my credits in, taking classes I liked in order to get the credits to graduate. So. Nice. You know, shocking Um, (laughs) and affected, you know, I'm walking dressed head to toe (laughs) in Terry Mugliere and think I'm like the shit, you know. So um, but the whole time my dream was Hollywood and my dream was television because of the latchkey thing, because I sat cross legged and everything I ever learned. I learned from Norman Lear or I learned from, you know, watching Gary Marshall and Laverne and Shirley or all of the family or the Jeffersons or so I learned politics and I learned love and nothing looked like the life I lived or saw, but it was the life I wanted. And in a 13 inch screen, everything was better. And as time passed and you started seeing the 70s and how women were so beautiful and natural at that point, this is the Charlie's Angels era, the Linda Mm -hmm. Carter era, you know, and then into the 80s where things got so dramatic and overly painted, everything I knew. All of my life lessons I learned from Donahue, from watching Donahue at four o'clock every day. 
He, my dad was on Donahue. He's the best. Well, he taught <laughs> me everything yeah. I needed to know about life. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And, you know, my mother was my greatest, you know, supporter. And I would sit at the base. She would sit at the base of my bed when I was really young. And I had a Hollywood poster. And she said, one day you'll live there. One day you'll live under the sign. And, uh, you know, I'm so grateful and blessed. I'm building a house. And through my bedroom is the Hollywood sign. Amazing. So, and know, it's, it's so interesting because you lived these glamorous lives in New York and Miami. I mean, you were literally living the life, but you always had your sights set on L.A. Well, I have no, you know, it's something, something about reality television. Okay, you have to understand who you are. There's an authenticity that has to be involved. Your life is made up of your own experiences. That doesn't mean that you can't understand somebody else's. It just means that you need to be able to recognize them. And I guess that was one of my better traits. And because I grew up really a television watcher, mm-hmm. not a film. Right. People think always I yeah. want to be in the movies. Yeah. For me, an hour and 20 minutes isn't enough to tell a story. I like a book. I like chapters. I like to engage in a long yeah. process. And for a long time, television fell off the radar. So when you look at the 90s, it was sitcoms and stuff. Right. And um, I'm now, flash forward, now it's the late 90s, it's 2000s, it's I'm running the biggest clubs in the world, you know, in Miami. I'm putting myself during the day through University of Miami where I got the, my master's in motion pictures and producing. I'm working for Warner Brothers, so I'm the field representative for all their films, and I'm releasing movies in Florida that were opening number one in our state, but failing everywhere else. Oh, like, my God, that's crazy. So, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm, like, working 15 <laughs> jobs. And and what was weird was now I'm at the front of all these clubs, and reality begins. Yeah. And some so of is the, that, like, Survivor, like, right around 2000? Absolutely. And okay. so I start getting calls, like, hey, do you know a great couple that might be good for? Right. That couple potentially ends up on Temptation Island. Um, I have a doctor who I'm friends with, and his literal doctor's assistant is Dr. Will Kirby, and he ends up on Big Brother, and Hardy ends up on Big Brother. And so some of the biggest legends that ended up in reality television, Krista, the first Bachelorette, and she was a Miami Heat dancer and one of my bottle girls. So, you know, it was like I knew everybody in the city, and because nightlife is your gateway to hot, funny, disastrous, big personalities, you know, willing to do whatever because it's fun, they came to me. And And were you just doing them as favors at those Yeah, people would just show up at my door and be like, hi, I'm with NBC and (laughs) we're doing, you know, and these people became now some of my closest friends. I mean, Sally Ann Salsana, who is the president of 495 and, you know, who is the person who's responsible, legendary for Jersey Shore, she was working on Eliminate. I met her at my door. She showed up and said, hey, I'm doing a dating show. And I stuck her in the broom closet and lined up 300 people for her and said, here, you want singles that are hot? And I was like, I was like, hey, Billy, take your shirt off. Hey, you know, oh Jill, God. you know, flash her. And she was like, you're crazy. But you're like two peas in a pot, right? I mean, well, she's crazy I, too. I say, okay, well, it takes one to know one. Right? You know, she's yeah. also Long Island. You know, right. she's from yeah. you know, Merrick. Right. So, and she, yeah. Well, we met fellow, but we didn't know each other that much. You know, okay. we had mutual friends, okay. but, um, but we didn't really get to working together until I moved here. And then you legendarily teamed up for Jersey Shore. Was that the first time you guys worked together when you got here? Well, no. Strangely, because I kept getting people coming to Miami looking for cast members. Yeah. And I had graduated the University of Miami with my master's. And I am now older than everyone I know because <laughs> I'm 30. You know, and I'm like, yeah. you know, it was sort of an evolutionary jump. I was I was intending to go to L.A. anyway. Okay. Um. So I opened some of the big clubs over the, over like Y2K and the Millennium. 
And, you know, with, I have a mattress full of cash kind of a thing. And, you know, because it's tip money, you know. Yeah. And I'm like, so I like, I'm moving to L.A. So I moved to L.A. with really nothing. Um, and I have this reputation as being this promotional genius with Warner Brothers. Yeah. But when I got here, they were like, yeah, no. Yeah, we don't know that. They were like, you're good there, not here. Right. And everyone kept telling me the only way to succeed in L.A. is to put your head down and do the best job you can. That's not what I do. <laughs> I'm not putting any head down. I'm not putting my head down. Right. And, you know, opinionated and I'm brash and yeah. I have, you know. So. Um, yeah, that doesn't work here, really. It doesn't. So how did how did you acclimate? I didn't. Um, <laughs> I, you know, people took chances on me, I think, based on my personality. And my first real big break, although I had tried to get into CBS and Survivor and Big Brother and stuff like that, I worked as a ghost, meaning I was a... Um, like a recruiter under a commission structure with no salary where any couples that got on, got onto the amazing race. I got like 200 bucks and that season, which was season three, four or five couples were mine, including the winners. And then season four also. And those were the ones that started winning the Emmys because in a weird way, I knew you wanted archetypes. Right. You wanted the old sort of, you know, retired police commissioner and his sort of complacent wife. Cause you knew that somewhere on the race, she would be like, wait a minute, I'm human and you don't treat me like that. And yeah. so it was what I call the Archie Bunker Edith syndrome, you know? And so yeah. I was able to really quickly figure out that in reality television, the archetypes are the most important aspects of personality. And if you can't clock it instantly, don't look at somebody and go, oh, even if you're wrong, because allow the onion to unfold and then right. be surprising. Right. When you look at them, it's a, it's a snap judgment and we all do it. We do it at every event you go to, at every restaurant you go to, online going to a movie, walking down the street, you're consistently and always judging people. You could say you're not, but you're lying. Oh, I am. <laughs> or you're or you're judging yourself yeah. in comparison to everyone else, but there's still a judgment yes. happening. Right. Um so So you could quickly delineate those archety- archetypes so that there weren't repeat, you know, everybody had their own unique voice and personality. And that's what a cast is, right? Well, especially in reality. You know, right. people always said, well, why aren't you doing film and television? And I said, well, because I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a social anthropologist. Mm, I like that. You know, like I, when I go, like I said, the way we met, I'm almost always by myself. It's not that I don't have friends and it's not <laughs> that I don't have loved ones. It's just that I tend to – there's a whole world to watch. Yeah. You know, like you could go to the international terminal at any major airport and sit there and start to imagine where all of these people are going because it's the crossroads of the world. You're seeing everyone from all over the world going somewhere and coming from somewhere. What is their story? And if you do that long enough, whether you're a writer in the industry or you're a casting director, it's the best way to figure out what humanity is. And is do you believe that it's those – the people uh, – I think you might agree with me. So, you know, we all have people, especially you probably 50 times a day that come up to you and say, oh, my God, I make the best reality show. You have to hear my life. It always seems to me those are the people who will not make a good reality show, right? It's the well, I think the are, people that are in a we bubble. We call them thirsty, right? <laughs> well, it's not that. You know, it's like, oh, me and my five friends are so funny. <laughs> okay, but why are you funny? Yeah. And then when you realize that they're funny to them, to them, it's one thing. But if you find the right funny, like the people's couch, then yeah. you find funny. Did you catch? Did you? No, no, it? I didn't okay. do that. But that's, you know, hats off. Yeah, like, right. You know, um... Jersey Shore was an example of that. Yeah, let's you know, break they that were down. Funny. I don't. You know. I, okay. So my calling card. I've done thousands of shows. Thousands. But like, th- at the end of the day, when it comes to casting, what appeals to me is funny. I think yeah. you go watch television, especially now. 
is to escape. Yeah. And yes, I'm also, because I'm a child of the 80s, I was influenced by what the 80s were. And John Hughes, because I'm dying to go see Edge of 17, because I think it's the first like John Hughes-esque movie for this sort of after the 20s. But, um, you know, he did The Breakfast Club. Yeah. And The Breakfast Club was the first movie to literally archetype. Mm. You had the princess. You had the basket case. You had the jock. Right. You know, you had the nerd. Yeah. He archetyped them. And he then created a series of movies based on those archetypes. It was Nerd Girl, Sweet Sixteen Candles, yeah, Nerd that. Boy and Nerd Boy with Imaginary Girlfriend, Weird Science. It was, you know, it, it, yeah. he, he was the one that fictionalized your archetype and it's never stopped. I also think you never leave high school. Ever. I don't care if you're 65 years old. Somewhere in your head, you're still in high school. Which is why people vote the way they do and they want it to be back in the 50s. But uh. in general, I'm just I'm just saying, you know, you that kind of awkward phase, that teen angst that you go through, yeah. I don't think you ever evolve from that. I think that that's your first realization of adulthood. And at that moment, moment you either try and invent yourself or reinvent yourself. So once you see it, you know it. When it came to casting, I was my first break was Are You Hot? Yeah. So I was casting people who thought they were hot. It was American yeah. Idol for hot. Yeah. Um, and it was a wild success, but then randomly we went to war. So like, right. you know, it didn't really like it was like the worst time possible. Yeah. Um, and that <laughs> right. show today would have been like the ratings were through the Huge, roof. Huge, right. Um, so that was my first break, and now you had to go all over the country and make lines of people screaming, you know, I'm the hottest person on earth. <laughs> right. And that was the time when American Idol and all of these shows yeah. wanted crowds. Wasn't that, it was ABC, right? Was ABC. And wasn't that when, like, Howard Stern sued over because he had said he had done it on his show? Yes. Yeah. Which but I, mean, I didn't know anything about that. Yeah, exactly. I, had, I arrived here in New Hot. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, and now suddenly I'm in Denver. I can do that. I'm like, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Hot. yeah. Um, and I mean, I'm, I was like tailor made for that show. So, right. <laughs> um, you know, and then I had done a bunch of other shows and, you know, casting for reality then was go out and find them. Yeah. I mean, they put us on buses. We would yeah. go on a bus across the country. Wow. I would be at a Piggly Wiggly in Kentucky looking right. for bachelorettes for The Bachelor. I love it. You know, like straight up, you know, yeah. because that's where you find what you're looking for that is across representation of who we are as a nation. Yeah. Mm, social media and internet changed that. Um, right. Jersey Shore. So that was the one that kind of broke through. You know, before that I had done, obviously, another hundred shows. But mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, the call had come in from VH1. Shelly Tatro, who is yeah. just a genius and, yep. you know, a legend in the know industry. Well. You know, she was like, so, <laughs> you know, you're from the club world. She was like, you know, would you not let in sort of you know, that guy in a tank top with a gold chain and the waxed hair. And I was like, no. You know, back then, we called them the Bennies, right. you know, like, B&T. where are you from? Bensonhurst? Right. Like, you know, and it was funny. It was bridge and tunnel. If you took a bridge or a tunnel into New York, you're not getting it. Right. Like, that was just the way it is. Literally. New York club, Manhattan clubs were from Manhattan. Now yeah. it's all in Brooklyn. Right. It's crazy. But, and sort of the Guido was born during the, <laughs> during Staying Alive and, you know, John Travolta oh, yeah. and his characterization in, in, in um, Welcome Back, Cotter. Mm-hmm. You know, he created this American-Italian stereotype that strangely spread through the Northeast. But mm. if you ask somebody in Omaha, you know, what a Guido was, they'd be no like, clip. oh, I don't know. Right. And we didn't look at it as a slur. That was the big thing. Mm-hmm. It was it was a celebration. Right. It, you know, and we had growing up Gotti had just started. Right. And so, you know, they were a funny representation of that. And we had been through the Sopranos at this point, And everybody loves an Italian, you know, mafia. <laughs> yeah. So so 
We're embracing there was, it. There was an element of that. And so suddenly she was like, well, do they exist? I was like, what do you mean do they exist? I was like, of course they exist. They never left. They're all over Long Island and Staten Island and New Jersey and Rhode Island and Pennsylvania. I was like, this is Italians. You know, these are proud American Italians that may not know about their heritage in Italy. But as Americans, they've created this new version. Yeah. And it was a bit like, well, where do we find them? And I was like, you know, at the Jersey Shore. So when we came, when it became Jersey Shore, it wasn't about people who lived in Jersey Shore. It was people that identified with Jersey Shore, which is why not everyone had to be Italian either. Interesting. You just had to embody that aspect. Right. You know, when people talk talk about like Japs on Long Island, right. and they talk about Jewish American princesses. You can find them anywhere. They're not all Jewish. Right. It's just, it's, it's right. a type. Right. <laughs> um, the same as sort of a Deb, you know, the debutantes right. out of the South or, you know. Yeah. So it's an archetype. Yeah. And what what was so brilliant about it is, is we had 15 years of real world. But real world took di- people from a different background to see how they act when put together. Mm-hmm. So you had a gay guy, a black guy, a racist, right. uh, you know, a homophobe, uh, you know, somebody who's a cutter or whatever. You know, like your, whatever, your, whatever <laughs> right. your mix is, your social experiment. Yeah. Jersey Shore wasn't that. It was people with a like mind, like background that enjoyed the same thing but didn't know each other. I never thought of it as turning the real world on its head like that. That's well, interesting. It was people come from the same cloth. Yeah. You put them in, immediately they have a commonality. They're right. not like, well, who are you? It was like, oh, my God. And it was, you know, Ed Hardy up the max. Everything was glittery. <laughs> and, you know, the guys were peacocks. They were more than the girls. The girls were the fighters. Right. And it was a social experiment. And it worked. And people loved them because they were funny. Hysterical. So how did you find them? I mean, I guess – How'd you find Snooki? Well, I mean, first that's of all, the one, like, she's... me. Uh, it's not me. So um, it was your whole... I am lucky yeah. to have surrounded myself with a great team. And you have a huge... It's huge, right? Well, I don't know about huge. I mean, I have, people, I have people, people that have been with me for, you know, a decade. Josh is one of them. Um, I met him. He was. We were at MTV together at one point doing shows, and I sort of inherited him. And mm-hmm. he's been my soldier in the field since. He calls himself the casting ninja. And, you know, we set up a game plan. You know, I know New York. So it was a matter of finding the big clubs in Long Island. It was a matter of figuring out what the big DJ was at any given time. And that was in Manhattan. And, you know, at the time it was Pasha. And, you know, there's DJs. So Jonathan Peters and DJ Boris. This is this is a DJ that attracts that element. (laughs) And so I was like, go. And Josh is also from New York. So they literally put boots on the ground and went from every club to every bar in the winter, no less. To find where they were, whether they were at, you know, in Little Italy or whether they were at, you know, Scobie's Diner. It didn't matter. That world existed. We put out a, you know, social media launch and started getting videos. Like, Paulie came from a video. He was like, I have my own tanning booth. And I was like, I love him. And Josh really was the pioneer in that world, like slaying one at a time. And then we started doing reels and reels and reels. The show didn't even exist. It was like not even a real thing. Right. Um, And then Sally Ann. You know, Sally Ann Salsano, Salsano Sanitation. She is Italian to the max. And I was like, you can't, in order for it to work, it takes one to know one. Yeah. If I'm going to executive produce a show, I'm not one to really do a two a days. I'm not one to be thrust in the middle of Texas and do a football show. <laughs> right. I don't know enough about Friday Night Lights. Right. I don't, I have no wealth of experience in that. It's not, 
can I figure it out? Sure. Right, but it's also hard to connect with the characters who need to trust you. Uh, but I'm not. It's uh, the joke. I'm not in on the joke. Right. In a weird way, I am the joke. So that doesn't help me any because then I become resentful. It's funny. So it doesn't work. Yeah. So, but Sally Ann, because she is Italian, because she came from an Italian family, because she understands Sunday night dinner, she was the perfect executive producer yeah. to take on the production of a show like this. And obviously, VH1 and Shelley. You know, and they created the show together and it became Jersey Shore. And last second, it was pulled and moved to MTV. So how did that even happen? Well, I I think that, um, you know, going back in time, I'm not exactly... I know Brian Graydon was leaving MTV last time and he just thought the show was brilliant for MTV. I know it was a departure for what they had been doing previously. Some of the cast was older than the MTV demo. Right, in their Which is also... You know, the MTV at the time was all Laguna Beach and very blonde and very bubbly right. in the hills. Right. And it was Jersey Shore that killed that. They came in brash, not looking like what anyone thought they yeah. looked. Some of the cast was 28, you know, and they and they took a chance. And you know what? It was brilliant because nobody cared how old they were. Right. And also you went from the hills and Laguna Beach, with, which looked like scripted, glossy, beautiful shows. To raw. Jersey Shore looked like my daughter could have filmed it. I mean, it, but that was part of the appeal. Well, not only that, you know, there was hundreds of hours of footage. These right. that cast threw themselves into it. They right. they had no I don't know if I could curse. They had yes, like, they had no cursing. fucks to give. Right. No so, you know, and that was why Snooky walked in and was like, "Party's here." You know, like she knew. <laughs> and um and it became the most widely successful ensemble cast in reality television history Ever. and it's associated in our generation as the equivalent to Friends. Incredible. So is there a Snooky story of how she was found or, or is there? A- she showed up at the casting call and gave Josh her application and it was covered in orange fingerprints because of her bronzer. <laughs> she did a cartwheel, was wearing no panties, and he was like, this girl is everything. You know, and she kept talking about it. Like, I like to climb. Big. Ju- she was the one that was like, I love a gorilla juice head. And that's the kind of, I'm going to have little gor- ju- gorilla juice head babies. And she was like, <laughs> oh spritzed her hair up to the gods with that Aussie scrunch spray that smells <laughs> like grape. You know, and it was everything you wanted because she was authentic to who she was. She's not even Italian. She's like Peruvian. Right. But right. like, she embodied what the Jersey Shore and the New York Northeast equivalent to what a Guido or Guidette would be. And do you think part of the magic of that cast in particular, and I think that this carries through to reality TV in general when it's good, is the lack of self-awareness and the lack of vanity? I mean, obviously they're vain, but not in the way that we talk about it. But No, I think, you know what? I think it was fun. I think that they got to, they okay, most weren't really working. Right. <laughs> No, I'm not trying to make fun. I'm not. It's Didn't not they negative. make like five hundred dollars the it first was, season? No, or all reality doesn't pay. People keep thinking. No, but obviously million. that it changed. Was Fifty bucks. They they were living yeah. there. They got their food for free. Right. It was <laughs> you were going to live. Yeah, you, know, you were drinking like crazy. Yeah. You know, four ninety five managed to work the deals out with the nightclubs, so they were able to get in there. Yeah. Right. And it became a phenomenon on top of a phenomenon. And then people started going to the clubs because they hoped to be on camera, so they could right. pick up Mike, so that they could be the girl that Mike bangs. I mean, it was like nuts. And it was brilliant. Um, and it was the first time that ever happened. And, you know, they tried to make derivatives of it, and they never hit that magic again. Um, and I wonder if it's because everyone got scared from a network perspective of being like, oh, it's too same, too same. The truth is, we have 15 housewives. You don't think they're too same, too same? Yeah, that's so, a good point. So where is, and people keep going, oh, well, we don't know what the millennials want to watch. I know what the millennials want to watch. They want to watch Jersey Shore. Party Down South became a version of it, and right. it also was a massive success. Huge. Major. And you casted that as well. Yeah. yeah. And it was and it was the other, the other version of it, With which was redneck. appealing to like sort of the American redneck. Right. 
you know, and you had daddy who was literally a, you know, a barnacle scraper from Mobile, Alabama, who was right. like, I can hold my breath underwater and come out and chug a beer. Like, I was like, I love you, you know. Um, so you're saying it's not so much that other things can copy it. It's that you have to find the magic cast, right? It's all about the cast. I think everything's about the cast. I also think that networks need to stop trying to dictate to viewers <laughs> what they should watch and they should just listen, Great point. We are in a really interesting crossroads in our industry. Things are working. Things aren't. Things that seem to have transcended time are the things that are funny. But to everybody wants dramatic. But funny trumps dramatic. So why do you think that is right now? I think that people are really short-sighted. I think that they, you know, look, I'm not here to trash the housewives. I just think that, look, the housewives, it was art imitates life. Desperate Housewives was a fictional series. Yeah. They created a reality show based on the opposite, which was the reality, does that exist in Orange County? And they did a brilliant job of it. Mm-hmm. You've now had, I don't know, 25 different incarnations. Everything from D.C. to Miami to D- to Dallas to London to, I mean, like, yeah. the variations have all existed. So watching women in a specific pocket of a neighborhood somewhere in the world is fascinating to a very specific demographic. Right. Um. But I've yet to see mass holes. <laughs> I love that name. You know, where they are they? They tried it. They did. Esquire I, tried it, but nobody watched. Well, I did, did you for some? a hot second, I did on VH1 Wicked Single. Right. Which was loud and funny. That and was did Boston, well. right? It was Boston. Yeah. It wasn't Jersey Shore. It was right. It was St. Elmo's. Got okay, it. so everything that I've done that I've actually produced yeah. is sort of loosely based on either a film <laughs> from the 80s. I'm just going to be clear about it. Like, I'm not, I'm not that it. genius. You I know, so Wicked Single was, was St. Elmo's. It was yeah. 25 quarter life between, yeah. between after college but before your real job when you're still partying and don't know who you are. Yeah. The show did really, really well, but then we had the Boston bombing. So it was a little bit of a moment hmm. culturally where, like, how do you kind of make fun of Boston when Boston has now had a tragedy? Right. So I don't – and I think so that was the unfortunate of that show not continuing. Yeah. But if, for people that go back and watch it now, there's sort of a funny brilliance to that show. Yeah. Um, But to take a bunch of people in Revere working at the Philly cheesesteak place yeah. and selling them on the beach – that are pale, pale, pale white and, you know, burnt on the nose, <laughs> right. that's really funny. And they're going right. clamming and, you know, like, yeah. that's a world we haven't seen. So do you think that now, because you're right, I mean, I think, like, Duck Dynasty was just canceled after a million episodes and it seems like the industry in general is, is other than Housewives and stuff that's sort of tried and true, moving away from these sort of subcultural docu-worlds. Um, but the niches work. You right. know, we know the niches work. Right. Little Women LA is a hit. Right, right, totally. It is. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think that anyone expected to be fascinated by, you know, this group of women, but they are. Yeah. You know, RuPaul's Drag Race. So I've been casting that one, you know, like yeah. first four seasons and then I left and I have original casting credit on that. But that's a worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. They, that has a that crazy thirst for that show more yeah. so than any other with a major cross-reference of a, a, of a social media following. Yeah. And they are legitimate stars. Yeah. I mean, whether you see one on American Horror Story now, I mean, it's like it's the crossover is huge. Yeah. So subculturally, it works. So why not embrace that and continue moving forward? 
you know, for me, I'm not a network president. But if a network president's listening and they want to hire me, I'll take I'll be a network president because I think that you need to be innovative in your programming. choices. Yeah, I think you'd be good at it because they are. Well, it's easier to say no. Obviously, it's harder to take. Well, because you're you're spending millions of dollars. Right. But at the end of the day, I don't think you need to spend the millions of dollars on celebrity because I don't know that celebrity really draws in the eyes. If you really want to follow a celebrity, you're following their Snapchat. And after a while, you're not interested any longer either. And you fade out. Well, do you think that the hope there is that, A, the, just the press alone gets eyeballs and that, B, that the pres- that the celebrity will cross-promote on their social media so that they'll get those eyeballs, even though that hasn't really borne out to be true? Well, it, ha- it has yet to be proven true. <laughs> right. The Kardashians are famous not because they're celebrities, but because they were a family first right. and the show made them famous. But celebrities that cross into t- celebrity television don't necessarily bring you success. The other side of it, and, and everyone wants celebrities. All of reality must have a celebrity connection to it, which I find odd. Yeah. Because your biggest stars were stars that were created, that were ordinary. The reason why American Idol worked so well was you watched these kids take the journey and become superstars. Yeah. Well, not only that, look at YouTube. I mean, look at all of the YouTube stars that have massive followings. They were nobodies. I mean, they didn't. They don't st- translate so much to television well, because we haven't figured out the right formula to that. It doesn't work. But my point is, is that people want to watch them and they may not want to watch them on TV, right. but they want to watch them on their computer or whatever it is. So that says something to your point that it doesn't have to be a traditional celebrity. No, I don't. I, you know, the celebrity thing. To, OK, we just had an election where 51 million people didn't care what a celebrity thought. They went anti-Hollywood industry. You had every major celebrity coming out and telling people, look, this is what we believe in as whatever liberals. And and America was like, really? Your job is to act and entertain me. Okay, but did they choose the celebrity is the question. Did they? Did they choose the reality star, the big personality, the loud? I think that they chose Antonio Sabato Jr., who was the (laughs) star of My Antonio. (laughs) That was actually a really good show. (laughs) That was was what I did. You know, like, they loved him. Give me a little chachi. I am nuts about it because it makes me me question everything. Everything. Yeah. Um, However, you know, our industry is to entertain. And we now have a president that's technically a reality star. But he's not because Donald Trump was never on a reality show. He was on a game show, which is very different. He was the host of a game show. He was not like living in a house with 15 people. Right, right. You know what I mean? Technically- yeah, but you could still argue that he – and I actually don't think he was. But you could argue that he was playing a part or had a persona you know, as this guy that right. was the they, character you, well, of Donald Trump. He was perfectly cast as <laughs> yeah. a mogul right. who wanted a television show. Right. And it worked and he fired – because remember when Apprentice first started, it was real people. Yeah. Then it didn't really work and then they put celebrities because yeah. it was funny to watch, you know, Joan Rivers battle it out with like NeNe Leakes. Like, you right. know, yeah. it was a little bit the surreal life Definitely. but for broadcast. Yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I don't know if you heard this, but somebody told me the other day that all of the charity – so when he did the celebrity version, all of the charity – you know, they always work for their charity. All the charity checks had to be made out to the Donald Trump Foundation. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Well – you know, we're in a situation now where I would love to hear those tapes. Look, he won. Now let's hear those tapes. Get him out. He's, I mean, but like anyone would care. No, no one would care. No one cared. Oh, God, we're going to go slit our wrists now. We'll be back. <laughs> right? It now, is, and now for our sponsor, yeah. Nestle yeah. Water. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> Rat poison. <laughs> but it is, you know, 
I always wonder about sort of the, the chicken and egg effect of entertainment on the culture. Like you said, there was an interesting story about the Boston bombing and sort of how, you know, even 9-11 when all of a sudden like comedy was dead for, you know, a little while where it was like we couldn't be ironic. I mean, even two weeks ago with the election, I felt like I'll never laugh again. I mean, you know, but it does. Things do turn and things do change. And I mean, I'm sure you've well, heard the this. Tru- the truth is, is that this election will probably bring out a renaissance in art and music. Yeah. You know, when things are when, when anger or frustration or fear becomes predominant, people let it out in a way that's usually incredibly colorful. And yeah. kind of when you think about it, we've kind of lived in a very, you know, cream and beige world for quite a while. <laughs> Um, you know, from a music perspective, hip hop has dominated the music industry now for 30 years. It's the longest running musical format ever. Even rock and roll didn't have this kind of a really. Run. Yeah. Interesting. You know, punk. Yeah. Yeah. We need something. Came and left. Right. Disco was only three years. Bring back disco. Well, but it right. only lasted three years. This is now 35 years as the predominant music source of cultural entertainment coming out of the United States and shaping the world. So I'm not saying to get rid of it, but I'm saying that maybe now it'll morph into something else because we're a little stuck in a rut. We need a shake up. So speaking of shake it up, so let's go back to you and your company. So you have so you had sort of Durana Fair casting and then that and then you basically decided I don't want to just cast. I want to make the shows because I'm basically doing that anyway. Right. Yes and no. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I'm a casting person. The cultural anthropological, you know, <laughs> the people sort of sociological thing is a real thing. Yeah. It's what I love. Yeah. It's, I can tell. It's people watching. It's meeting people. And I know I'm talking a lot right now. I'm blabbing my face off. That's why you're here. Right. But I never get this opportunity. Right. Because you're always listening. I'm always listening. Right. And absorbing and kind of. You know, and in a weird way in my head, always thinking like, wow, what really makes this person tick? And because I'm so um, in tune with whoever it is I'm interviewing at any given time, I'm able to ask the right question that then breaks their mold and then shows you who they are underneath. And how long does it take you to figure out if they would be good or not? Two seconds. I can literally literally do it in in five seconds. Um, And what about how long does it take you to figure out if they're crazy? Like if they've got that one screw loose. Crazy is good. No, but I mean like... The one that's going to really... Well, they're really nuts. So they, uh, they they don't end up in my world anymore. You <laughs> right. know, like I know when there's somebody right. that's like volatile. Right. You know, I'm I'm really grateful and I'm very lucky and I'm, you know, and it's a little bit due to the due diligence of my team and yeah. the way my company works, but I've never had a scandal. Okay. You know, and I don't want to like jinx myself now. I'm right, like, we're knocking on everything. Super like... There's no real it, wood here. But, but, but I've never, but no one's ever passed my yeah. system and ended up being a danger to a production or a show or caused the pulling of a show or had some sort of weird, you know, you know, Know, a sexual scandal in their background that nobody found out because I do the diligence. Yeah. So if I'm a company that's hired, I stand by the product and the product is the cast. And is a lot of that just deep background checks also? No, it's, I, you know, you have to know a person. Instance. And I ask the right questions yeah. and I tell them before the show goes forward and I say, promise me you're not going to do this and I'm right. going to now look for this. And I take the extra effort to get to know the person I'm about to put on the show. And I never let my cast not know what they're about to get into. Yeah. I'm not somebody who does, like, like I don't, I don't set them up. Yeah. You know, because there's none of that in my world. Right. Good. I don't, you know, you're going to be on a show. I want you to be as big, as bold, as interesting, as funny. And that's why my shows are organic. So because casting is so important to me, the rich kids of Instagram was a funny social media thing. I had been obsessed with Vine for a while Mm -hmm. and like loved that like Marcus Brothers. Yeah. You know, and I was following Brittany Furlorn and laughing, laughing, laughing all day long. You know, (laughs) and I was like, okay, let's take all of them. Let's put them on Friday nights on Fox and let's create like, thank God it's Friday, like a new version of Mad TV. Like, 
people were like, we don't want that. I was like, okay, well, you're dumb because they have 14 million followers right. and you have a point zero two. So <laughs> it was one of those. But like, yeah. you know, and at the time I was working with Gary Marshall and we were trying to figure it okay. out. We wanted like a new SNL. Yeah. Young. Right. I love it. Somebody buy it. So, um, so you know, and then the Rich Kids of Instagram was the next incarnation. I got a call from a very good friend who said, you need to meet Dorothy Wang. And I was like, oh, my God, from Rich, she's the girl with the pig. You know, because she was, like, walking a pig at the Beverly Center in that photo. You know, she came in with everybody, and it took me, it was less than a second. So this is Rich Kids of Beverly Hills you're talking yeah. about, how that turned from Instagram to Beverly Hills. Yeah. And Morgan and her walked in. That was And it. I met, it was clueless. Yeah. It was Blair. Right. And it was, they, were, they were so witty and so funny and wow. so self-deprecating. And there were two girls that you... You literally were like, wow, it's it's just L.A. Yeah. It's L.A. to the max with an enormous amount of money right. and genuinely funny. Right. That show went on to E! as a sitcom. It was a 30-minute reality sitcom. Love what it. you saw is what you get. If you sat at a restaurant with Dorothy and Morgan, that's what you saw. And did you cast um, um Space Magic Johnson's son? What's his name again? Yeah, EJ. EJ. So he so, was— Well, EJ was organically friends with okay. Dorothy. So this is organic. part of it. She saw met him at Tybo. She God. was like, who's this guy breaking it down like Beyonce? It was like, <laughs> right. no. And they became friends and he joined the cast. I didn't do EJ in New York. Um, that spinoff was an E project that, that happened, but I yeah. didn't have any Got creative it. on that. Um, the the But I love EJ and I think that EJ is a huge character and then there's more to come of him. So you basically, did you have to team up with the production company then once you got the show sold to E for Beverly Hills? I mean, well, you know, what's funny about this, this is a whole other weird story. So being a casting director, and I'm sure other casting companies go through it all the time. Yeah. You know, you have independent producers that show up and say, hey, can we just look at your files? Right. You must have met somebody that's great that can right. do their own show. We hear it all day long. Yeah. I, you know, I've seen 3.2 million people. Right. So, you know, how of am course. I supposed to sift through that in my brain and be like, remember that one woman? <laughs> yeah. It's not going to happen. Right. One. Two. Um, it's proprietary. Of course. You know, I'm hired yes. to cast for a company. I don't then take that cast and right. then be like, ha, 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 I'm going to take the best of it and make my own show out of it. Right. It cuts your nose off to spite your face. Good point. And I have a career and I have a certain level of integrity and value. Yeah. So if you're going to hire me, you're going to get the best I'm going to offer you. Now, outside of that, Two years can pass and nothing can happen or that person may not have been chosen and suddenly I find out they have a twin and they own a treehouse company and, you know, now it's something. Yeah. But, but that's, that, that, changes the, that changes the conversation. Okay. When it comes to David Leapson, who is my partner in – Oh, Leaps and Bounds. Leaps and Bounds. Yeah, okay. He came into me and had a deal with a production company, ITV, as a pop right. deal. And he said, look – you know, I'm not looking to just look through your files and give you 200 bucks. Yeah. I'm looking for a partner. <laughs> Got it. And I said, well, I don't have anything in my files for you. I said, but I might have something for you. And um, I had already known him from his sort of career at HBO and okay. Fox and True. And, you know, he's a really great guy. And we sort of bonded as a soul connection. And he's sports. And I'm like, you know, band camp. So <laughs> it, it was a funny mix. And where I'm so flamboyant, he's so so not. It was... It was a good partnership to find mm -hmm. strategically for a show that was very girly because I get to be as girly as I want. Yeah. But the execution right. had to be done correctly. Right. And that sizzle by far, I think, was probably one of the most watched sizzle by every network. I mean, that sizzle went around. Did you have a bidding war? We did, but it was always supposed to be at E. It yeah. was meant for E. Right. And they bought it immediately. And that was before E had a, had a, had a managerial shakeup over there. So Which when, one? Well, it, <laughs> happens, been many. it happens at every network, exactly. and they evolve. But, right. you know, the show that we started with, which was a half-hour comedy, yeah. 
then became a one-hour sort of pseudo-drama. Kardashian style. Yeah, and then they really wanted to sort of get into the drama of their lives. But the fact is, is that these are very wealthy, very funny, very fashionable they, they're squad goals. They're really not flipping tables and cursing each other out. Right. So, they want to have fun. So ultimately, that was a show that would, needed to be a lifestyle brand, and it evolved differently through time. Yeah. And the network was very supportive of the show, and I'm really grateful to the network for the show. Um, but the show has run its course, and there will be more to come from them. Yeah. You right. Know? Yes, for um, sure. And then in terms of the stuff that you have right now, I went on your website. You've got You're casting like 50 shows, it looks like. Well, I'm casting anything and everything. Right. So that's um, the question. Like, uh, And it looks like, you know, I, I read the fine print. And, of course, as a producer, we always want to know what other people are doing. So from what I can tell, it looks like some stuff's been greenlit and you are hired to cast for a greenlit show. And others are sort of, you know, the production companies that want to develop something and they need to find the cast to make a great reel. Is that kind of a good? Some of it's that. Some yeah. of it's pilots. Some of it is okay. shows that are yet to come. Right. Some of it is shows that have, that are on the air. They're just described in a way to throw off a competing production company. Oh, I need to figure that out. You know what I mean? Because, you know, if you're, I mean, obviously if you're Survivor, you're casting Survivor. If you're RuPaul's Drag Race, you're casting RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm not going to be like, hey, are you a man in a wig? (laughs) You know, like, we're like a new show looking for high kicks. Like, I'm not going to do that, you know. But a lot of these shows, they don't want to give away what they are. So I, I happen to create a whole visual imagery about a show. And usually that becomes it. Yeah. So I, Party Down South, as an example, that was not the original name, but because the casting was done under Party Down South, we literally were in a Winnebago driving through the South. People saw that wallpaper thing. Yeah. We were at Bonnaroo and the Mudfest, and people were like, well, what is the show? When it went time to make the show, Party Down South became the name. Again, art imitated life. Do you ever, what's the hardest show that you've ever had to cast? Oh my God, I get hard shows all the time. You know, Do you have I get, one that I just was wild. a bitch. Oh, please. I get all kinds of things. I get like, okay, so we want two parents <laughs> who are about to get divorced and they go and they hate each other right. and they're going to use their child as leverage. <laughs> okay, no problem. Uh, okay, I, 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 and we want 40 of them and we want them within four weeks. You know, and that's and then the, what do you do? Do you have to manage those expectations at the beginning? You know, I've worked with a lot of casting people, and sometimes you're just disappointed with what they find because, and maybe not for lack of anything else, but it's just too hard to find it. You know, I. Uh, or will you just not take it because you said like well, I don't want to? You know, there there was a time that sometimes I wouldn't. And then there are times <laughs> when business is slow and you take what you can get. <laughs> right. um, look, but I've cast extraordinarily hard shows. Yeah, single and pregnant was not easy. God. Can't imagine. But it was an empowering and amazing show, and ultimately that cast was pretty pretty amazing. Yeah. You know, now that's not a show you can continue because eventually you're not pregnant anymore. Right. But these were women who were pregnant mm-hmm. who either broke up with their boyfriends right before or somehow got pregnant and didn't tell the guy. Or, right. you know, and they had to come, and I had to find them within a specified time because they are pregnant and be able to cast them, book them, shoot them before they gave birth. So talk about complicated and difficulty. That's a hard show to cast. So whenever people come to me and say, oh, you know how hard I'm like, well, I cast that show. Well, let me ask you something because I don't know. You know, a magician never reveals its secrets, but I do think for sort of the non-industry people who listen, it would be interesting to know at least one or two ways that you would go about casting that show. You know, other what? than sort Single of and pregnant? yeah, like how the hell are you going to find those Lamaze people? classes? Okay, so you're really thinking about. I put Craigslist posting. Hey, are you a <laughs> single pregnant woman who needs a companion to join you for Lamaze? Right. <laughs> then it's like, hi, my name's Brittany. Oh, that's hilarious. It's anything and any anything yeah. and everything goes. From a casting perspective, people go, how do you cast? 
Obviously, social media is huge. Right. Now. Right. And I come from a day when I used to make flyers yeah, and stand, thank at, God, stand yeah. at the mall. Right, you know? Right. But you do that too. It's a combination of ground, grassroots. Yeah. You go where the people are. My team, when people go, well, how do I work for you? I hire what is needed for the crowd that I'm casting. If I'm casting Southern partiers, I'm going to look for a promoter. Or a or or a concert booker, yeah. Or a liquor rep in Alabama who needs an extra job, interesting, for six weeks, yeah. Because they know where to go. Yeah, I can't sit there and claim to know or go online and find you know a Yelp review. Right. It doesn't work that way. Right. You have to be in the know. It's no different than getting into the VIP room in a New York super club. Yeah. If you don't know the door guy, you're not getting in. Right. So it's the gatekeepers. They are the key to everything in any industry. Period. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, and I think it's it's. So I hire gatekeepers. Yeah, I'll right. hire you, and right. sometimes I keep them forever, and sometimes mm-hmm. I don't. Right, and they're either going to have a knack. Well, you know, like Lenora Claire works for me, and she's sort of a pinup cult. Um, fo- you know, she has a huge Instagram follower. She's a John Waters girl. Oh, okay. you know, she's one of those. To look at her, you're like, wow, it's a visual. She looks like Jessica Rabbit. You right. know, her hair is red, red, flame red. She's bodacious in a way that's indescribable. She has one outfit that she wears all the time, which is a skin-tight, you know, dress, and she wears boots. I love it. It's a look. Yeah. But, you know, she's beyond brilliant. She was like, you know, Mensa. And she was- Really? That show, Head of the Class, yeah. was based on her class. Oh, wow. So, that's you know, so, and, it's, and again, never judge a book by its cover. Yeah. So, but she's the queen of the underground. So when I did shows like Taboo and My Secret- um, obsession, right. and my, you know, all of those She'll shows. Find the weirdos. Yeah, she found <laughs> so the girl who thought she was a lamp and the person who <laughs> ate, you know, her poor dead husband's ashes. These are the people that find them. Oh my god! <laughs> so what's the craziest <laughs> thing? I love it. Dude, I've done them all. I love you. Really have. I really have. I mean, I'm sure there's many, but off the top of your head, what's the craziest thing you or anyone on your team has done to get a person for a show? It's not about getting. It's about listening again. Yeah. I mean, we've gone to the ends of the earth. Right. That's what I mean. Like, have you gone to some, I you mean, know, look, nude uh, beach? That's yes. Like, we've gone ever. Right. I mean, look, they put me. I remember when we were doing Rich Guy, Poor Guy, which was going to be a spinoff of The Bachelor. It was two bachelors, one rich, one poor. Such a good idea. How wasn't that done? Uh, ABC. I don't know. So <laughs> we, so, but we were at the same token. We were casting batch girls for The Bachelor. Okay. So it was all simultaneously. Yeah. They put us in a bus. So me and four other casting people, and I was a junior at the time. Yeah. They put us in a, a coach a bus. When I got hired, they're like, "You're going to be on a bus," and I was like, I "Like," and I was like, "Really? Like, what kind of a bus?" They were like, "They're like, no, like a rock and roll coach bus, like as if you're like Motley Crue, and you know, it might be Motley Crue's old bus. You know, you'll have a bed, there's a little TV." I was like, "Really?" I was like, "Sounds yeah. fun." What they didn't tell me was that they were going to wrap that bus, you know, so that it says like whatever yeah. rich guy poor guy on the outside with roses and you know ABC all over it. Oh but they didn't do perforations. So I'm on a bus that's pitch black, can't see out the windows, shuttling through time and space. Oh, my. Oh, yeah. For like three weeks on the road, I went completely insane with four dudes. And I'm like flamboyant and kind of like tidy and like, you know, like just I mean, it was to me, it was torture. And, you know, (laughs) and I and I would just weep and be like, you know, I don't know what day it is. I don't know where I am. (laughs) I'm at a Walmart. You know, like it was it was it was nuts. Um, That sounds crazy. So that was. You know, I went, I I did Joe Millionaire 2, and they sent us to different countries, and they gave me the Czech Republic, probably the best experience I've ever had. 
I spent four weeks there driving in the countryside. I found the winner. She was literally in a white gauzy dress barefoot in a field. Stop. With wood um, laundry clips hanging sheets. And we pulled over in a little tiny like, you know, I don't even know what, a Fiat. And was like, hi. And I was like, what are the chances you speak English? And she was like, I do a little. You know? And I was like... We're doing a television show. She's like, I don't do porn. I was like, no, 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 we're not doing porn. It's an American reality show. They didn't believe us. Um, but we had the most in, on that show. Also, if you haven't seen that show, if you're a reality fan, yeah. go back and watch Joe Millionaire 2. I don't know. that. Yeah, I saw the first season, of it's course. The, it was called An International Affair. Because, you know, so many people yeah. knew that show. That show had yes. Super Bowl numbers. Then how do you do that twist again? Right. They had to bring girls that didn't know about it. So it was like Czech and Sweden yeah. and Italy, Italian and... And do you have a particular type of show that you like to cast? Like, is that, you, do you love the dating shows more than you like the, you know, weird addiction shows? Well, I like an addiction show if it's going to be positive. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to help somebody, I want to help somebody. Yeah. I, I love a game show where somebody gets to jump up and down and you've changed their lives. Yeah. You know, I'm a huge fan of the docu-soap. If it's real, though, you know, if the networks would give me the opportunity to really go into a place that's slightly dark, I would like to explore that world. What's one that you has been If Brett Easton to... Ellis was to create a reality show, I want to make that show. Yeah. You know, I want Less, Less Than, than zero. zero. I want Cruel Intentions. I want Glamorama. I want Rules of Attraction in a college. I don't want to censor it. I don't want them to be likable. I don't want... Well, they're not likable. I was like, I don't want... I want them to be hateable. Assholes. Right? Not... Not... Where they're d- despicable characters on their own. I'm saying that when you watch them, you go, wow. <laughs> because you know a villain is an amazing thing yeah. which is why when you think of the greatest films or television series who do you remember you right. remember Alexis Colby you remember J.R. Ewing you remember um, Amanda from Melrose Place yeah, true. you remember what Sharon Doherty became on 90210 it's those kinds of things so if you could find real characters that are that are willing to embrace that in themselves and then you create a marketing campaign around it so Tuesdays are a bitch watch blah 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 I think that audiences are going to relate to that more than just, you know, yeah, dating and love. Absolutely. So for you personally and for your company, like what are your goals for now? Like for do you want to stay in unscripted forever? You know, do you our want to industry is so weird. It is. I, you know, a part of me wonders if we've seen the best of it. And unless somebody really gives a shot to something out of the box, it's going to be more of the same. Mm. Um, I am that out of the box, but I'm also, I don't swim with the sharks and I'm also not within the field of representation. So I'm not taking buyers out to cocktails every night yeah, and then trying to work the, 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 what I call the schmooze angle. I'm not agency represented to the point that the agency is pushing me into finding their big clients or their celebrities and creating a package that then forces the network to buy it. Mm -hmm. I'm the guy that's like, hey, look over here. I've got something no one's ever seen before. Give me the chance. So I've, it's going back to where I began. I'm I'm an outsider that has been innovative and has been sort of media savvy and has created the biggest buzz of anybody in reality television. But my name isn't synonymous with Mark Burnett. Yeah, no, it's interesting. You're right. And I don't and I'm not trying to be don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to be right. that. I just want to make shows that will make people think. Yeah. That will move people forward or backwards or galvanize or you know, vindicate something. So Netflix says they don't have a reality division, but Making of a Murderer was a reality. Exactly. Show. You know, if they were to give me head of reality, uh, you know, I could fuck yeah. some shit up over there. You know, like that's 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 an example. Yeah. Um, because then I'm not 
locked to uh, advertising dollars. Yes. Good point. Now, if you want me to create programming that is family friendly, I would love to do that. Yeah. Where is Little House on the Prairie? Yes. Why don't we have Highway to Heaven? Where is Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman? Where is value-based programming for families to watch together that they feel that, that can teach a moral or virtuous lesson? Well, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey just announced it yesterday. They're what? starting a digital network called Light. Exactly but your brand. That, but those are biblical. Eh, there's, it's, but family-friendly. I mean, they're kind of— I'm thinking more Hallmark Channel. Yeah, The right, biggest show— right. Okay, I'm, okay, so— no, I mean, I, I'm all over the place, obviously, and people were listening like this guy's on crack. But <laughs> no, I can um, vouch for it. Not you know, maybe I, meth, not I, crack. I, no, no, no. <laughs> Dirty. I have teeth. Look how gorgeous my teeth you are. You do have beautiful um, teeth. No, so I. Here's the, that's funny. I mean, <laughs> meth is an ugly drug. It makes you ugly. so ugly. No, you're so on wait, nothing. So, so, uh, coat of many colors. The Dolly Parton. Lifetime movie event, which was basically a fictionalized story of the song Code of Many Colors that she executive produced starring Ricky Schroeder. 18.9 million people viewed that show. Wow. All, day and time, not like on DVR. Like the night it aired, they made it a family event. Now, this Christmas, they're coming out with a sequel, Holiday of Many Colors or something. Oh, this is Hallmark Channel? Yeah. Right. But, so they're quietly doing these. But why aren't these, more yeah. people looking at that? That's a good point. And if reality wants to, there's a way of creating reality family. Totally. Programs. But it's not going to have a celebrity in it, you know, because right. once you put the celebrity in, yeah. you've taken away the authenticity. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Did you, um, would you do scripted? Does that appeal to you? I would love to do scripted, but I don't cast scripted. Because right. that's, casting of scripted television is literally a breakdown between a writer and a director right. and it's based on look. Right. So the creativity for somebody like it's me is, is, point. is nominal. It goes out of the window. So what are the reality shows that you actually enjoy? Like, what reality do I watch? Yeah, done. You're too, you're too busy working. I'm too busy working. But, you know, I, but I am watching reality shows. You know, I watch, you know, it's funny. I, I watched Music Moguls on BET. I thought that that was, like, strangely cool and interesting. Mm. I laugh. Well, you know, I'm also biased. But Snoop and Martha. Yeah. You know, Dinner Party. It's yeah. Just, it's ridiculous and funny and great. And that these two icons are together makes me, it sort of warms my heart. And I watch it. I watch a lot of the DIY. I watch a lot. I mean, I could watch Couple Cake Wars all day long. Right. Um, you know, it just depends on what I watch. I don't watch... I'm a 44-year-old gay guy. So, yeah. you know, strangely, I'm watching RuPaul like, and on every word. And not only do I watch Drag Race, I will watch the untucked version, and then I will watch <laughs> right. the other version where she, like, narrates it. Yeah, any iteration. Um, I'm watching any iteration You're of in. that. I yeah. do watch, you know, so what I don't really watch is women who are my age who are behaving badly. <laughs> I just, first of all, I don't know women like that. So right. it becomes completely unrelatable to me, and then I just don't care. Well, but you said I actually read an interview with you. With you said that the whole idea of a good reality show is that they're not relatable, though. So that you're, you know, that someone like a Honey Boo Boo or um, I don't remember who else. You well, but that's but... what I talk about a niche programming. You're watching somebody completely outside right. of your world, right. right? But you're saying I want to watch something I relate to, though. To well, for me, I don't want to. Wa- well, because it's too close to me. I don't want to watch. I don't want to watch. What I think my friends from high school are doing now—that's <laughs> that's that I'm not interested. In. That's funny, you know. But if you take them and put them on a desert island and have to fight for for survival, right. I'm in. I'm in. Right. Okay. I'm a little more like I need the entertainment. I yeah. need to laugh out loud. Yeah. You know, of all of the housewife incarnations I watched, I loved Atlanta. Yeah, it's I mean, funny Nene, because Nene right. Leakes is a star. Yeah. You know, it's again for me, it's about casting. Yeah. I, I want I, I fall in love with the characters and then I want to be a part of their world. 
Is there anything that you haven't done yet that's like on your vision board or something that you're dying to do in terms of like a show that you've always wanted to do or maybe one that you pitched that didn't go that's sort of like your baby that you will champion until you die? Well, there are. There are. I think that we're sorely missing the Latin demographic. I'm really surprised that we're yet to really get a great docu-soap on that world. Yeah, they're they trying. Say, they say it doesn't work. They won't go with it. People don't watch. You know, it's you know, it's really watching. To answer your question, I'd wonder where digital will go. If they're going to take the chances that may then force the networks, which is great because, look, when, when reality started, everyone said that we were destroying television. <laughs> right. They called us the pornographers of the small box. I was offended by that. Um, <laughs> what, it, what it did was it forced television to get better. Yeah. We ushered in a golden age of television, which never happened before. It was because of us that Glenn Close started doing damages and we had shows like Lost and Battlestar Galactica on sci-fi that were brilliantly written, brilliantly acted and raised the level and the bar of what television could be and forced people to say, I'm not going to watch Real World. I'm going to watch... You know, the making, you know, uh, how to get away with murder. Oh, that's so interesting. It forced television to get better. And it forced cable networks to get even better than that. Because then they had to beat the broadcast. So that's where you had Game of Thrones and Breaking Bad and, you know, even Bates Motel. You know, there are shows that are so strangely niche but are brilliant in their making. It launched FX and American Horror and Nip Tuck. And, mm-hmm. you know, these shows that when you think are are, are going to last forever. Yeah. They've never been an, it has never been a 20 year run. So I'm saying 2000 to 2000 to now 27 yeah. years of the quality of television program that we've ever had until today. That I agree with 100%. And I and I say it's reality forced that. Yeah. So now that the television's gotten so good, it's going to force reality to get better. Yeah. I think well, I think look, selfishly I do a lot of the sort of premium true crime stuff, so I think that alone is a great example. Of where it's been elevated. Do you know what I mean? Like it looks like scripted programming, even though it's not. I mean, we're not going to have the littlest groom again, I don't think. (laughs) We're not going to have, you know, that Monica Lewinsky hosted dating show where the guys wore masks. That was amazing. There was an element, there was a moment there where television was just bizarre. (laughs) But I don't, you know. Well, I think the appetite, like you said, I think it's a really good point because. Scripted has changed people's appetites to watch things on a episodic, slower, not self-contained. You know, I mean, look, when we grew up, everything was self-contained. You know, every sitcom, every comedy. I mean, every but drama. They you know. But they had, but they had connective lines. They did, right? I mean, I'm thinking, right, Dynasty or or, or Dallas or whatever. Those Colby's, yeah, yeah, Falcon. No, Cross. I was all in on not those. planning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I totally. watched it all. But didn't watch. yeah, but now, I mean, you know, and again, even with crime, I mean, like. There is an appetite to slowly watch a story unravel. Well, you want – it's a book. It is a you book. You want – listen, you can never really get a great character yeah. until you actually embed yourself in their world. Agreed. Which is why Netflix is so interesting because now you binge watch it at 12 hours. People will sit on a Sunday, order a pizza, start at 10 o'clock in the morning, end at 10 o'clock at night and be like, I just watched – you know, and look at Stranger Things. Yeah. Was I haven't, I haven't was seen it great? yet. Yeah. It's great for what it is. Right. It brings you back to a nostalgic place. And if we're really looking for nostalgia, yeah. then let's go there all in. I'm all in. I need to figure out what John Hughes movie we can recreate as a reality Well, right now show. the new one is that Edge of 17. They're saying that that's like. Right. I, I can't mean, wait to see it. It's out in the theaters, I guess, Friday. I'm not plugging. I have nothing to do with that movie, but I would go <laughs> see that. I loved, you know, but I do that. That's what I watch. I watched, you know, um, Confessions of a Wallflower. If you haven't seen that movie. Yeah, it's re- I did see it. I loved it. Yeah, very sweet. I loved it. And yeah. that's the difference that I think that when people say, well, what are the millennials watching? There's yeah. nothing made for them. Yeah. So why, why would they watch anything? Yeah. 
Interesting. I'm not watching Below Deck. You have your finger on the pulse. Well, that's why I think that uh, MTV doesn't get ratings anymore because millennials don't watch TV and I don't know why they're not getting Okay, but a million of them watch Teen Wolf. Why? Oh, interesting. They're watching it. Why? Because they're good looking and they're funny and they're interesting and it follows the Buffy format. So if you're going to do it and you're going to create reality television, what they did was MTV went all in on Teen Mom. Let me tell you something. Boys don't care about Teen Mom. They're not (laughs) interested. And who was watching Teen Mom? Older women. Right. Oh, yeah, Because totally. 16-year-old girls were like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. You know, they were like, this is my worst nightmare. And they watched it once, and they were like, right, uh-uh. scared straight. So they weren't, and then, remember, they went from Jersey Shore to that. Interesting. Really Where was the rest of the party yeah. shows? Where is my Pimp My Rides? Where is my first yeah. car? Where is driving school? Where is high school dance party? Where is their where is their where where is their American bandstand? Yeah. Set in a high school gym in Austin, Texas, and moved from city to city. You need to be a network executive, I've decided. Well, somebody hire me for that. Yeah, all right. We're or putting, just give we're me a first a... look deal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, no, I like that you're willing to take chances, though, and that's what we need now. Just someone who can think outside the box, who can actually shake it up a bit and not be afraid to say yes to things that may not work. Like, that's really the ultimate goal, right? Because otherwise it's just going to be more of the same. And I just think we need to entertain. And with so many options out there, look, the Oculus Rift is coming. Somebody asked me if I could put on a VR deck, what would I do with it? Yeah, I don't know. Well, I know what I said. I I was like, you know what? For me, if I had to pay $39.95, I want to be in the middle of the dance floor at Coachella. (laughs) But I don't want to go to Coachella. No, never. I want to go to Burning Man, but I want to be on a VR set. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm willing to travel to locations. I'm willing to do, I'm willing to be in the middle of a DJ set at Queen in Paris. Right. So where you're looking around 360 and everyone's dancing around you. So you, in your underwear, at home, by yourself, can fully immerse yourself on a Saturday night experience. Yeah. I think the key is never never to leave home. I think that's the future. <laughs> that's my future. Well, we all, we're all going to need an escape for the next four years. Exactly. I'll be wearing those glasses. <laughs> uh, this has been so amazing. I'm so glad I got to talk to you finally. And thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And let's do this more often. <laughs> <laughs> 